from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. I'm Adam Mertz, Associate Manager of Publishing for Credit Union Magazine. This week's guest is Jeff Randell, a leadership and strategy consultant. The former bank examiner and credit union legislative lobbyist is the founder and president of Rising Above Enterprises. He works directly with credit unions and executives and also moderates and delivers presentations at credit union conferences and events, regularly traveling more than 100 days each year. I spoke with Jeff during his recent visit to Madison, Wisconsin, where he addressed third-year students at CUNA Management School about the value of strategic thinking, namely how to create and present winning ideas to your CEO. Jeff, we're here in Madison today. You're speaking to CUNA Management School this afternoon, a you know, big audience of future leaders and current leaders of credit unions. Uh, but before we get into your message that you're going to deliver them today, I'd want to talk about what got you to this spot where you're in this role where you are having this audience. How does someone carve out a role uh, as a credit union strategic expert and speaker? Sheer luck is how it happens, Adam. It's interesting. My, my past is kind of varied. I grew up on a wheat farm in Oklahoma, found my way down to school. And once I was uh, finished up with college, the OCC, the Comptroller of the Currency, so the national regulator for uh, nationally chartered banks, was on campus hiring for national bank examiners, assistant national bank examiners, I should say. Anyway, got the job and they literally said, well, the Oklahoma City duty station is available or the San Diego duty station is available. I'm 23 years on a wheat farm. The decision was, was pretty easy on my part, and I was a national bank examiner for about six years. And, and what a great time. Obviously, you certainly understand the, oh goodness, the practices and all of the internal examination questionnaires and all of the, the duties that are involved with examining a bank. But what was really most valuable is you saw every size and shape of organization from the small community bank in rural America to some of the money centers downtown and some of our larger metropolitan spots there and everything in between. Some that were heavy on commercial, some that were primarily retail, some that were credit card only types of banks and a nice chance to interact primarily with the senior executives. And from that, a banker that I had been regulating, I suppose, reached out and literally said, you know, the grass is greener on the other side over here. We'd like to have you come over and do some administrative executive type of work for us. And that was a good opportunity because I moved to a different desk. That first desk was as an examiner. and Now you're on the other side of that desk working with examiners and working as an executive. And that was a lot of fun, actually administering and taking care of the strategic and operational details for a community bank out in Southern California. And a phone call came in from a dear friend of mine from my days back with the OCC who was working for the California and Nevada Credit Union Leagues and asked me if I'd be interested in looking at, uh, at a legislative or a congressional lobbyist position there. And what a great opportunity it was for the five years I spent doing that. I didn't know anything about credit unions coming into that role. My goodness, debits are debits and deposits are debits are debits and credits are credits. You know, right. deposits are deposits and loans are loans. But it was the philosophical aspect that I didn't understand. I think the first and the best thing I did to get familiar with credit unions is join the supervisory committee for a $13 million credit union. And I think our supervisory committee had more members than the credit union had employees. Okay. But you were back into the details and really understanding the inner workings of that. And then, goodness, back in 2002, I started this business where I primarily focus on sales and strategy for credit unions and have enjoyed it. I travel 
gosh, probably 100, 125 days per year with a variety of different credit unions and their business partners and leagues and associations like CUNA, and really just touch a lot of credit unions in a lot of ways to find out uh, you know, sort of my mission is how do we help your credit union get better? There's not one single template approach or a sole approach you can take to a credit union. I've joked at CUNA meetings all of the time, if you've seen one credit union, you've seen one credit union. And for someone like me or anyone else to come in and say, this is the exact approach to success as a credit union, it just will not work. So many different business models and members and fields of memberships and histories. It's um, You just have to take a unique approach to every enterprise that you step into. Obviously, there's some universal truths probably that you've uh, noticed through the years when you speak about that. And I know one credit union is one credit union, but what's sort of the, the messages that you try to carry forward, especially at this point in time? Yeah, right now, I think what's most important on, on the strategic side is where do your members need your credit union to go? And a lot of that is, is good in the early research when you get some feedback from members as to what's next in their expectations and financial services. And that may come via member surveys or focus groups or industry intelligence that's out there as well. I've asked a lot of boards also, you know, what do you need the credit union to be for the future? And I learned a pretty valuable lesson from one of the one of the top four credit unions in terms of asset size here in the States. We were chatting about strategy. And in his case, he said, we're, we're not worried about what we need to be focusing on in the next year. That's management's job to really build out a business plan. And he honestly said, there's just too much for us to worry about. We can't understand everything that management is doing day to day. But the interesting point he said, and I believe they served roughly 750,000 members was the number. So we need to be asking the question, what do we need to do to prepare to serve a million members? Now, maybe that number and that example is a little larger than some of the credit unions that might be listening in on this. But I think that's a valuable question. As, as a board and as an executive team, what do we need to be thinking about and investing in and considering for the next three to five years of serving our members versus how do we grow from 2.1 products and services per member to 2.2? It's very important, but that larger strategic question, especially at the board and executive level, is what are we doing to prepare for growth five years from today? Which brings me to your point about today's session of strategic thinking. Uh, talk a little bit about what you're going to be emphasizing today in terms of where you are setting your focus when you're having these sorts of discussions, as you noted. This is a great session for year three of CUNA Management School. In fact, when I sat down with the leaders of that to discuss some ways that I could add value to the program. One of the, the nice benefits I bring into the room is I spend a lot of time with CEOs and board members. And the individual who's probably going to be in that year three for CUNA Management School is a soon-to-be-one-day CEO or senior-level leader. And so my intent for this segment of strategic thinking is to bring out a lot of ideas and trends that are happening in the marketplace there, in credit union space, but also retail financial services, and ask the question, based on what we see today in the industry, what do you think is next? You know, What should you be considering for your members? And I want to hear all of their ideas of what's next in their minds for the members. But what's most important for me to help them is to take that idea, to flesh it out, to see how it might apply to their strategy. And if they can hone that idea down to a really fitting element for their creating strategy, the next point is, how do you sell this to your CEO then? And I think that is one of the greatest skills that up-and-coming managers can learn. It's one thing to have a great idea. It's another thing to, to kind of build out the, the business case, the go-no-go no analysis about it. But then it's taking the idea to your CEO or to perhaps your board of directors. And that's really the, the end result of, of my time, the three hours I have with year three, is how do you take your big ideas, 
really make sure they're solid and you've determined ROA and the expectations and what can potentially happen. And then in a figurative sense, knock on that CEO's door and say, I've got a good idea. I've done some work behind the scenes here and I think we can do this. Let's discuss it. How much of that is the idea itself and how much of it is that person and the reputation they've built within the credit union? It's probably 50-50, and I'm just spitballing a percentage right now. Yeah. The, the first 50 of the idea is, is really you as that credit union leader, and I'll, I'll say that credit union manager, assistant vice president, someone who's really just starting to grow in their management role, of using their professional skill set and knowledge to just look around the industry, listen to members, think about the credit union, and in a simple sense, ask what's next for my branch, for the call center, for the credit card services, whatever that area of expertise or professional responsibility might be. And then based on understanding what's next, building out a business case with their skill set. But once you've got the business case and all of the details down on a piece of paper, now the personal relationship and the, the skills that come with interpersonal communications and persuasive skills and understanding that there may be a no that comes from the other side of the desk. But if you understand the, the reason for the no, there may be a very good business reason why we're not going to move forward with that project right now. Yes, it is a, a strike against your idea, but it also prepares you to understand that here's the business reason why we're not moving forward with your idea. I think the successful CEO can then say, continue to bring me new ideas that you've fleshed out. And if some work, we will roll forward and you will be in charge of executing that. But if some don't, here's why, but we want those ideas to continue so you can see a kind of an enterprise-wide approach to success for the credit union. The point was made the other day at CUNA Management School along those lines in the discussion that I was at of the need for innovation. And you see it out there a lot of the time when you are visiting with various credit unions about this real drive that maybe there was a point in time where you could be on cruise control, kind of do things the way that you had been. Uh, what's the tone of credit unions right now in terms of wanting to make sure that they're, at, if not at the forefront, at least fast followers? What's next is a great philosophy. You've executed a strategic plan. You've built a new product or a service. Your members are going to quickly be wondering what's the next level of service or technological access and experience that we might have. There's a great graphic that I'll show today with CUNA Management School that shows the, the level of, goodness, let me think how this works out, the time frame of various technologies we've experienced through the years and the consumer adoption rate to reach 100%. For example, the telephone, the landline, which none of us have anymore, took 90 years to reach basically full adoption. The air conditioner took 55 years. The microwave oven was 35 years. The in-home PC was 20 years. The cell phone was about 10 years. And what I share with audiences is the pace of change, yes, is increasing, but I also believe consumers' expectations and adoption of those new technologies is becoming faster and faster. We need to be prepared to offer new products and services and levels of access to our credit union in a faster fashion because our members, consumers, are expecting it, perhaps even demanding it, because someone else down the road might be looking to that next level of technological or experiential um, access for the member. When you are talking to various credit unions and you're trying to get behind what they're coming up with, with what's next, uh, what kind of questions do you ask? Where do you probe to find out? where their sweet spot is right now, and some information that you can share with other audiences. Yeah, it's interesting that you use the term sweet spot. Identifying a sweet spot at your credit union allows you to succeed in the marketplace regardless of your asset size. You just have to ask yourself a few questions. One, and it's in a conversation that I encourage all boards and executives to have, is have a large contextual 
conversation about what's happening with technology, with the environment, the consumer expectations, with the economy, everything that affects financial services. Have that conversation and then ask yourself three really important questions. First of all, what do our members need? And that's honestly going to be taking a look at what other financial services are providing, perhaps what products and services your members are currently using most, and taking an industry overview of what's happening out there in credit unions, in retail financial services that's making a difference in consumers' lives. And so that's the first question to ask is, what do our members need? The second question is to, in a figurative sense, look across the street. What are our competitors offering? How is it priced? How is it put together? How is it executed? Are other members or are lots of consumers using this product or service? And the third question is, what resources do we have that we can dedicate to these types of products and services? And what's intriguing is that when you ask the three questions, one, what do our members need? Two, what's happening across the street? And three, what are the resources that we currently have to invest in these needs? You can tease out that sweet spot of yours. And it has you ask that a final question, I suppose, is how do we remain competitively different in spite of the resources we do or don't have, knowing what our members need, knowing what they're seeing across the street, and then figuring out how to meet that need with the resources that we have? So, Jeff, it's been 10 years since the financial crisis, and there's been so much disruption in the last few years. Credit unions have kind of seen that first wave come through. Are they at a point now where they're able to sit back and maybe assess more rationally where they stand looking forward and, and are, have shifted out of panic mode at this point? Yes, they've shifted out of panic mode. And I would state from some of the conversations I've had with CEOs moving forward into, well, having a growth mindset. In fact, I'm thinking of CUNA Z-Scan this year and one of the larger trends that's represented in that publication is, is having a growth mindset, but, it, but it's intentional growth. And perhaps that comes out of the financial crisis of a decade ago. It might also have to do with regulatory pressures and just new capital expectations. In fact, I can think of a dozen CEOs right now who start to think about, is uh, is 8% the new 7% and is 9% the new 8%? And I, I sympathize with them. In fact, many of the boards have literally looked and thought, you know, maybe a range of 9 to 11% is, is really right. One, to sort of keep the doors open or have some, some cushion there if there are some lean times but also to take advantage of opportunities for expansion and investment if that, uh, if that certainly happens. But one of the questions I've seen more boards begin to ask now since we've moved out of that situation of a decade ago is moving away from risk avoidance. Now, oftentimes, that, times that does tend to become a, a driving conversation is what risks are we taking, how are we protecting ourselves, and what, uh, what's the, the negative impact if such and such might happen. That's important, an important conversation to have. But some new questions I've seen boards begin to ask the CEO is, are we taking enough risks? What risks should we be taking? And that's an important question from the board's perspective and then handing off the details to the CEO because the board has essentially asked the CEO, are there areas that we should be serving more folks in our community, different ways to serve our members that might bring in some additional risk but provide some additional reward? And if board members are listening to this, CEOs as well, encourage your board members to ask your board members, ask your CEO, are we taking enough risks and what risks should we be expanding? In my mind right now, I'm thinking of the, the FICO distribution across the U.S. and how it matches up with the loan distribution at credit unions. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the, the, the example would work like this. If 20% of American consumers have a FICO score of, say, 750 or more, 
it would logically state perhaps our loan portfolio should have 20% of that A paper. What I tend to see is 40% of that portfolio might be in A paper. Sure. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum there. Let's say that 15% of consumers have a FICO score that's, call it 650 and below, 625 and below. And what you see oftentimes is the loan distribution at the credit union is not equal to, say, that 15 or 20% that might mirror the marketplace. And I'm thinking of a couple of examples of some credit unions that have, that have seen that sort of dynamic and that, um, that imbalance in the balance sheet and wondered, are there areas in our community where we could make some quote-unquote riskier loans, gain some reward as well, as long as it's managed and mitigated appropriately, but serve new members and existing members in a way that they aren't being served? Uh, one example, subprime auto loans. I'm thinking of a pretty large credit union that set up a specific program to, to write C and D paper types of auto loans. I think the average interest rate was somewhere around 13.5%. Their loan portfolio grew by 3% just in that product alone over the course of about one year. But what was most interesting is that D paper and C paper performed better than the B paper, and in some cases, the A paper. And that may not be true across all credit unions, but I think the message back to the board was, we've reached out to some members who had a need. We earned a reward, call it 13%, where that member may have been paying 26%. And in those conversations with those boards, I've heard some board members state, well, gosh, we can't charge 13% on a loan. My question has always been back, or my statement has been, no, you won't pay 13% on a loan, but you have a member who's being charged 20%, and you have an opportunity to help them and help your credit union grow in a kind of a mutually successful fashion. Which gets at uh, kind of your perspective that maybe you gained on the on the banks versus credit union side of things. And I almost gather from listening to you that um, that's part of credit union's mission, is to look for those opportunities and to not fight risk because then you're probably not living up to your mission as a credit union. You bet. And obviously, oh, I'm thinking of a board member who years ago reminded me that just because we're not for, for profit does not mean we are for loss. And I've kept that in the back of my mind all the time. Well, we, for it. You, well, thank you. I, I have to give credit to the board member who shared that with me. We certainly have to manage and be good stewards of our members' resources. I'll go back to my experience as a board member for a very small credit union, $13 million in assets. And we had a loan that came to the board's attention. So it's an exception loan. It was, if I can recall correctly, a newly single mom who a lease had just expired on her car. She was upside down on the lease. She had driven more miles than was allowed in the lease. And so you had the, the 10 or 15 cents overage or per mile overage that was charged into it. Anyway, the dealership was more than willing to, to finance it. And I think it was at about 22%. I'm coming in, I'm a bank examiner by training and a banker. I, I was working for the California Credit Union League at the time, so I had some credit union experience, but I'm looking at this loan and thinking, well, this is a piece of junk. We might as well just go ahead and authorize an extra an extra allotment to the allowance for loan loss there because this will be a loss before you know it. Yeah. And I remember a dear friend, he was a uh, an account executive for CUNA Mutual, who sort of looked across me and gave me one of these young man types of uh, looks there and said, we need to remember why we exist as a credit union. And it is certainly to help people in times of plenty but it's also to help people in times of need and hopefully work them into those times of plenty. We made the exception. We made the loan. I'll be doggone if the thing didn't pay off in a couple of years and turn into another loan and probably, as we joked a moment ago, performed better than our B paper when it originally was D paper. And, and perhaps that's anecdotal, but I'll bet there are a lot of other stories in credit unions that can be replicated and repeated a number of times to show 
that there's still a lot of philosophy in the business models that we execute. It's just committing to all aspects of our community, not just the A paper. How do you make any money off 1.49% unless you're digging deeper, but reaching out to those who can gain a substantial financial benefit by an extension of credit, perhaps, on the credit union's part. I'm sure you've seen some really impressive uh, strategic planning meetings through your time. Is there a wow moment or a couple of wow moments that stood out where you're like, these people are doing it right? Well, I have often joked, I will take a well-executed strategic plan on a on the back of an envelope than a non-executed, high, four-color, glossy strategic plan sitting on the shelf. You know, some of the more successful Uh, not ideas, but formats that I've seen is when the management team has taken a lot of time beforehand to come with a um, with a proposed plan for the board of directors to state this is where we seeing what we see the conferences that we attend the uh, the professionals that we network and just our general understanding of financial services. This is where we see us taking or being willing and able to take the credit union in the next three to five years. We want to get your feedback board of directors on is this reasonable? Is this sound? Does this fit with who we're trying to be perceived or what we're trying to expand uh, our relationship with the community about there and really just having that good back and forth conversation. And when I say back and forth, I don't mean the board sits on one side of the room and the executive team sits on the other side of the room. Sometimes it does end up that way, but really just an open, fluid conversation where the board understands the general business practices that will move the credit union forward, but they also realize that their single goal is to make sure that the, the safety, the soundness, the fiduciary responsibility, the, the members' assets are protected and they're being good stewards of the members' resources. I look at credit union members as investors. That's probably a good way okay. to look at it. I mean, they are the owners of the institution. Right. When I worked for a community bank, we had 150 shareholders of record. Five of those shareholders owned about 90 plus percent of the outstanding common stock. There's nothing wrong with that model, but I knew who I worked for. And so I I believe when we look at our members as investors, it tells us these are the folks who have risked their capital. Maybe it's $500, maybe it's $50,000, but they've risked their capital expecting a return. That return might be services, it might be more well-priced products and services, it could be patronage, dividends, a combination of all, but they expect a return on their investment because they have choices in financial services. And I think we should look to our members as the true owners slash investors and stockholders that they, uh, that they really are. Interesting that you touch on it in that respect, because I was speaking to a CEO not too long ago who is in a uh, peer group essentially in his uh, metro area with CEOs from not just financial services, but other businesses and most of it's for profit. And he says, taking away, you know, kind of the moral, um, issues or, you know, mission, I would say, that credit unions have. There's a lot to be learned from how the for-profit world operates in terms of looking for efficiencies and, and trying to incorporate that into our structures at the credit union level. And that's that's getting at what you're talking about. We are here to serve not just because it's a good cause, but because these people are our investors. It's interesting you say that. Uh, in just a couple of weeks, I'll be facilitating CUNA's National Roundtable for Board Leadership. I'm privileged to do it for the second year and appreciate that. One of the panels that we're facilitating, or I'm facilitating and we're hosting, is former bank CEOs who are now credit union CEOs. Mm. And I sent out a laundry list of questions to these three to just prepare them for the panel so they can have some answers already written down to just help the conversation and the flow of the meeting itself. Two important questions I asked were, number one, what can banks learn from credit unions? But number two, what can credit unions learn from banks? Sure. 
And thinking top of my mind right now, what can banks learn from credit unions? Most of the answers were think longer term. And that probably stems back to maybe being more concerned about a, a quarterly type of financial report, a quarterly profits that might report it, be reported out to the financial markets. But the general consensus of the CEOs that were bankers in the past were think longer term. So I turned it back around and I said, what can credit unions learn from banks? And from all three CEOs, the answer was scale, efficiency, don't be afraid to outsource when practical and when necessary. And I think that makes a lot of sense. There are other partners that we have in the credit union space there that are experts in a product or a service or a systematic way of helping your business grow. And, and why not you look at that, at least in your analysis, to ask, are there other parties that can help us accomplish, perhaps even accomplish better than we can on our own, some of the services and, and the outbound type of activities that our members enjoy, freeing us at the credit union up to, uh, to dedicate our resources in a more effective way? Sure. And so that's straight from the horses' mouths of former bankers turned CEOs or former bank CEOs turned credit union CEOs that said scale, efficiency, and not being afraid to let someone else who's an expert help you serve their customers in the past, but their members now is an important lesson that we can learn from banks. That panel and a lot of what I've seen you write about just kind of another example of the research that you do um, and the communication that you have with people around the country. How many contacts do you think that you have in a year with uh, financial services, uh, CEOs, board members, that type of thing? It is interesting. I have something I call my daily dozen. And I'm a numbers guy. I have been sort of a, a task-oriented fellow for years, and I just like to check things off of my list. Every day when I'm in town, I'm not as productive on the road as I wish I could be, so sure. I make sure that it only happens when I'm at my desk in Southern California, I reach out to 12 CEOs, board members, executives on, on a variety of different ideas that just happen to be. It might be an article that I'm writing for a, for a CUNA publication. It could be a new key, keynote that I'm working on. And I just might be thinking up some new programs to deliver for credit unions in the next year and want to hear straight from the individuals who, who execute uh, for their members every day. And so my daily dozen is pretty simple. I just bring a dozen out from a, a large database that I have, and I reach out on a particular item. I don't get 12 responses back every day because some folks are busy, some folks forget, and I'm sure some folks just delete my message that comes through, <laughs> and that's okay. You know, sales is a numbers game there. Right. But I, I think it's valuable for me to take maybe the research that I've learned outside of credit unions, and that might be reading some issues in the, in the Wall Street Journal. I'm a big proponent of the Harvard Business Review, and, you know, taking big ideas about business success from the, from the consumer scene and then asking, how does this apply in retail, consumer, financial services as it relates to a credit union and getting some of that great feedback from CEOs and board members? I think some of the greatest examples that I've shared in some of my, my keynote sessions or my breakout educational sessions have come from examples that I've learned from everyday executives and board members that answered back an email or picked up the phone and gave me a call and said, here's what we're doing. Here's an example. Feel free to share it around the country. If we can do it, you can do it, and we hope your credit union grows. Of interest, I don't see that in the banking community. Uh, from time to time, I'll visit with the banking audience, and gosh, in the spirit of transparency, I'll just open up about that. I am a credit union guy, but from time to time, a, a banking organization might call. I don't see the same type of networking and cross-collaboration idea sharing happening in the banking community. And I think that is a strategic advantage that credit unions, the, the leaders, the collaboration, all of the networking opportunities have. I joke often you learn more at the bar than you do the convention 
conference center. Yeah. And yeah. it is that hallway chatter. It is, you know, having a beer with your with your buddy afterwards and just, you know, how are you acting on this? What's working? What's not working? It's that it's that kind of conversation and ability to share that credit unions have a strategic advantage that uh, they need to make certain that they, they do network with their peers on a regular basis. You touched on a couple of the publications that you like to use and, and your kind of framework for how you talk to CEOs and whatnot. What areas do you look at? You mentioned retail financial services, but there's so much crossover now of talking about technology is financial services. Uh, everything seems to interlace. What is on your brain when you're looking? What catches your eye these days? First of all, I'm thinking of one of the former bank CEOs who'll be on this panel that we referenced just a moment ago, who shared with me a couple of years ago, a oh, sort of sidebar talk at his credit union strategic planning session. He said, Jeff, I kind of look at our credit union as really a technology company that just moves money around. Huh. And we chuckled about it and kind of uh, you know shared that with the board there. But there are a lot of nods of heads that said, you know what, we're thinking about our members and how they interact and access us. And maybe to an extent that is true. So I, I certainly do look at financial services and, and, and that retail scene there with, with regard to the, the facilitation of money. I like to go outside of financial services and just see what are other retail-focused organizations doing for their customers, perhaps for their members, if it's a, if it's cooperative type of organization, and so you know something that I that I certainly encourage CEOs and marketers and folks who serve and develop products and services and access for their members is see what Chick Fil A is doing. Take a look at what Target is up to. Look at retail services because that same customer of Target or Chick Fil A or oh goodness Bass Pro Shops, right? they are having an experience at that retail establishment that matters to them, that's important, and that is valuable. That experience, that expectation, doesn't change when they walk into a different retail institution. It's the same. It's just a new product that's filling that need. And I think a valuable way that credit union marketers and CEOs and executives can uh, can, can utilize that information is, in a, in a casual sense, drive around town from time to time and see what's happening in retail America and ask the question, what's the experience that customer is receiving? What's the lesson we can glean from now how they're interacting with that um, with that proprietor? And are there trends? Are there some, some call-out action items that show us this is how a successful business is treating its customers? How do we take this great lesson to make sure we're doing the same, if not to start to implement it right away? And I would think that a lot of cases that board members are great sources of that information as well, just because they come from different backgrounds, different industries, they're able to contribute in that respect. Yep, they absolutely are. In fact, I encourage board members, go to lots of conferences and bring back the ideas that you learn about. You know, an important balance is you may go to a, to a conference and, and learn a lot of new ideas. Bring that conversation, bring those new thoughts back to your credit union CEO and you know let him or her sort of delve into it and, and determine what might be a proper step forward with a, a variety of different thoughts and notions and new products and services that you've learned about. What I've found most interesting is that board members, as they look to continue to lead their credit unions, often realize that while I may not use all of the product and services and bells and whistles that our credit union offers, I know it's what's right for our members. I go back to a planning session of about a decade ago where a board member, I think he was a board member emeritus, 89 years old. He was a World War II vet. Mm -hmm. In fact, if I recall correctly, he was the chief navigator for the B-24 Liberator bomber that flew over to pick up our POWs after the war in the Pacific yeah. had ended. Qu quite a story. I wish we had yeah. time just to stretch out on that one right. because it's a good one. 
I was actually asking him how to work my iPad at the time, and he schooled me. He said, I'm sorry, I'm working with the iPad 2, you're working with the iPad 1, and we had a little chuckle about it, but he opened my eyes and he said, Jeff, I, I don't use all of the, the products and services and the, the technological access that our members do, but I, being 89 years old, I represent, I think, darn near the 75,000 members that they had at the time. For me to take my preferences, my comfort, what I use and what I don't use, and expect that to be the model that all members have is wrong. And, and I really appreciated Bob's leadership there because he literally said, I'm, I'm, not in that, uh, I'm not in that space in life where I'm going to be utilizing or using all of the products and services and technological access that we might offer, but what do our members need? And how do we make sure that you as the chief executive are executing on what our members need? And maybe that's a great question for board members to ask across the table, what do our members need? How do we help you, Mr. or Madam CEO, execute on those needs that we can oversee your uh, your success? Boards uh, are such an interesting topic in that, uh, you, as you've mentioned before, credit unions are different, boards are different, people's backgrounds are different, the needs are different at various credit unions. So there's not kind of a, a universal theme that we can discuss, but I want to play a little um, exercise out that I learned the other day at CUNA Management School. It's an evaluatory concept of brag, worry, wonder. When you look around the nation at credit union boards, what would you brag about about the credit union board model? What do you worry about? And what do you wonder about from a curiosity standpoint of what could be? I brag about the commitment levels from board members, whether they be a board member for 50 years or for five years. And in some cases, it's, it's interesting. That board member for 50 years brings more value and commitment than some board members who might be just looking to kind of add to their LinkedIn resume. I've certainly seen that. And so the, the longevity or the tenure is irrelevant as long as the engagement and the activity and the, and, and the commitment to the well-being of members is, is present. So the commitment is great. What I worry sometimes is where we're we going to get all of these new board members from. And I remember last year's, gosh, national roundtable out in, uh, where were we last year? I think Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago yeah. is where we were. And we had a panel of millennial board members. And one of the, the items that a millennial uh, told us, and I believe he had just been elected vice chair of a pretty good-sized credit union, he didn't know that it was a three-year term when he won election to the credit union board. And we all laughed and gasped in the room there. But Andrew is his name. He said, don't expect a millennial to commit to much more than maybe three years. And, and maybe we joke about it here on the podcast and we're smiling behind the scenes. And, and if that's true, I, I certainly respect it because maybe they are in their early 30s, but they've got families and new businesses and jobs. And, you know, their world is, is a lot different than perhaps a, a board member that's in his or her 50s or perhaps 60s and kind of, you know, working out of a career or enjoying the early years of retirement there. And so what I worry about is the ongoing recruitment. What I wonder about is what does the credit union board of the future look like? And, and is that board going to be a good representation of what the membership looks like as a whole? And we've chatted a number of times at various CUNA conferences is that as we seek to, to go out and grow our boards and diversify and expand and bring in new candidates, what are some intelligent ways to do that? And I've tasked boards or, or encouraged boards do your annual call for nominations. You have to do that because of the bylaws and the rules that ask you to, to have that uh, that call for nominations there. That call for nominations tends to fall pretty flat when you look at the ROI on marketing or the response rate that right. our digital marketers would, would look to there. 
I've encouraged many boards to get together with your marketing team and take a good demographic look at your members and then find, are there certain areas of our membership that we could extract those individuals who are from age 35 to 40 and happen to be of a certain gender or ethnicity and live on in that zip code that we're now trying to grow a presence in and send out a second separate marketing message specifically for that candidate that you're looking for. It's a good way to almost target market to look within your membership to send out a second, more specifically focused message of we'd like someone like you because our membership is growing in this category and the best way for us to learn from someone who is of this age and ethnicity and gender and section of the county there is to have someone just like you on our board of directors and we'd love for you to consider it and here's what it's all about and hopefully some some greater response comes from that. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. And you can connect with me on Twitter at CUNA Craig.